great future. We're talking real money. Well, even when Memorial Day weekend is coming up, which is the holiday coming up right after I'm recording this, the day before that weekend is still Friday, which means I'm here answering questions. Now, I'm not going to do as many today. I'm not pushing for a big number. Just a few good questions because I'm trying to save some questions for when I'm gone this summer so that I can pre-record some Q&A sessions and uh, have those set up to play while I'm out of the country. So welcome to today's edition of Talking Real Money, the Q&A session. I'm Don McDonald, and thank you so much for listening, for joining in. If you have questions, please send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. The best way to do it is through your computer, particularly if you have a separate computer microphone. And these days, because of video chatting and all, everybody should have a good computer microphone that you keep a little close to your mouth because it sounds better. Like right now, my microphone is three inches from my mouth and I'm talking at an angle across it. So it sounds really good. It's called a proximity effect. So if you got a mic where you can get within six to eight inches of it, you're going to sound a lot better. You can also call us at 855-935-TALK and leave questions there. But doing them online is really cool, and they sound really great. And let's get started with our first really great-sounding question, this one. Hello, Don and Tom. This is Warren in Port Orchard, Washington. I've got a question for you regarding P.E. ratios. I'd really appreciate your opinion on this. Um, been watching the market, and I see that the P.E. ratio for the S&P is about 20. And when I look at AVUV, it looks like the P.E. for that ETF is 6. So I looked at the holdings inside of that ETF. It looks like it's a basket of about 700 companies. And almost none of the companies within that ETF have a P.E. that low. So I guess my question for you is, first of all, how low will it go? And second of all, is the P.E. ratio of the ETF really representative of all the companies, the basket of companies within that ETF? I hope you can help me understand that. Thank you very much for your show. Let's talk about price earnings ratios in general, but I don't want to get into a lot of specifics. I don't want you using P.E. ratios as a timing tool. That's very tempting because you, you know, oh, when it's at a high P.E. ratio, I'm going to sell. And when it's at a low, I'm going to buy. But that's not how human nature works. And that's not really how the P.E.s work because the, the E part of the P.E., it's the price to earnings ratio. So you take the total earnings of a portfolio. It's easy with individual stocks, but again, shouldn't time them. Very simply, you take the price per share of an ETF, like AVGE in this case, and you divide it by the overall earnings, the, the total earnings per share of the portfolio. And that's when you get the, the numbers. The S&P 500 is going to have a higher P.E., it should have a higher P.E. It's made up of primarily growth stocks. And growth stocks are stocks that the market believes are going to grow their earnings over time. So the market is willing to accept a higher premium, is willing to, to spend a higher premium to get those future earnings. They're betting on future earnings. That's why Tesla's price is so high. 
Uh, they're betting on future earnings, not today's earnings, because their P.E. is not that great. Value stocks, on the other hand, make money, generally, but they're not hot. They're not exciting. So, therefore, you get rewarded over the long haul through this plodding, steady growth that looks really attractive when the hot growth stocks take a big tumble like they've done prior to the 2000 crash, prior to the 08 crash. Value is steadier. As I'm recording this, AVGE's price earnings ratio, the Avantis Total Equity Market uh, Fund, ETF, is about 11. And that's in line. I looked at other small cap values, and that's in line with other small cap values. It's about 11 right now. Will it fluctuate? Yep, it will. Should you use it as a timing vehicle? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, it's best left ignored. You don't need to know it. Just build a, a portfolio that's properly diversified. And literally, the, the devil is in those details because it tempts you to do things you shouldn't do. Send in your question, TalkingRealMoney.com, or call it into 855-935-TALK. And here's another one that came in through the website, TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Chris from California. I heard your comment about what Ed Slot said about um, tax rates being at a discount, discount right now. And I agree with you that uh, uh, tax rates are not certain in the future and that it could change. So my question is really uh, along those lines. My wife and I are have been saving pre-tax uh, through our uh, retirement accounts from work. So uh, federally, we are at 22%, and we expect to be to remain at 22% max when we retire. So our question is really, do we continue to contribute pre-tax? Or do we shift to Roth expecting that our retirement tax rates are the same as of our working years? And I appreciate your response. And please kindly explain what, why uh, your answer is your answer. Thank you. Oh, I will answer it in, in great detail. In great detail. Uh, but you're not going to necessarily love my answer. First, you're doing kind of what Ed Slot did. You're making a prediction about the future. And that's where I think we all make mistakes. We just assume things. Whatever our belief system is, whatever we're hearing from someone else, um, our, whatever our emotions drive us to think, we, we kind of get bogged down in it. And uh, you think you're going to be in the same bracket. But what if you're not? What if through no effort on your part, you end up in a 35% bracket because the government says we're raising taxes across the board? What then? That's why we believe you can't know. And when you don't know something, you hedge your bets. You don't bet everything on the same thing. And that's kind of what you're doing by doing just pre-tax. Pre-tax is cool. When you're making a lot of money and you expect to be making less in the future, uh, post-tax is wonderful. If you're in a lower bracket now, but you're a great saver and you're going to be a high bracket in a high bracket in the future, they're both together 
really wonderful because you get the best of both worlds. Then you get a pre-tax account that uh, gives you breaks right now. And then you can start taking that out first. And you have the post-tax, the I, the Roth IRA accounts that you can hold on to for a while and uh, not worry about getting hit with taxes if rates go up in the future. So it's just hedging your bets. We believe in having both because you can't know what the future will hold. You cannot possibly know it. And I know it sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. Because to make that decision accurately today, to say, I'm going to save on taxes today and pay them tomorrow, or I'm going to pay the taxes today and save them tomorrow, implies some kind of knowledge that is not at all even vaguely possible. That's the problem with not being able to even accurately guess the future. We can guess, but it's not accurate. It means nothing. It's meaningless. Thanks for your question. I really appreciate it. Now, here's the next one. Hey, Tom. Hey, Don. Hey, uh, the kids are listening this week, and uh, I'd like you to revisit, if you would, the uh, uh, Roth topic that uh, we've discussed a couple times in the past on your show, where at uh, 30, 27, 25, and the last one is approaching 20, where I've seeded a Roth for them using uh, your DYI or do-it-yourself uh, portfolios off the website and uh, preceded that, uh, those funds for them, and they have a long time to grow. And with a nominal input, um, none of them make enough to put a full six into those uh, Roth investments uh, at this time in their uh, professional lives. But by their nominal participation and the seed that I've put in, by the time it's retirement, there will be a substantial amount there for them. All it takes now is their regular participation with what they can afford and making sure that if their employer has a, a matching for their 401k and it's a worthwhile 401k, that they not leave any free money on the table there either. Could you talk to that and talk about that, uh, you know, where a Roth should, could be in uh, 30, 35, and in the case of one of them, uh, 40, 45 years from now? Thanks again for everything, and I'll listen in. Well, congratulations on giving them the best gift you can possibly give, which is a future. That's so tremendous. Uh, I'm going to have to make some assumptions, though, to give you some ideas about what this could be worth. So let's look at a couple of scenarios. Let's start with you just put it in $6,000, I'm guessing, and they don't do anything at all. They add nothing, which would just be awful, would be bad, but let's just assume that's what they do. And I'm going to assume an 8% return because even though the stock market's done 10 um, eight is probably more realistic. Maybe I'm guessing. I just want to be a little bit more conservative than the market's been. In that scenario, they're going to end up at age 70, the 30 year old. We're going to use the 30 year old. 40 years, age 70, which should be the age of retirement or close to it. We're going to, we're going to just assume that all these things, they're going to be looking at about $150,000 when they reach age 70. Yeah, it's not a good amount of money, but it's better than 
poke in the eye with a stick. Uh, but let's say that they add just $100 a month and they increase that every year by, let's say, 3%. Just They're not really putting much away. $1,200 a year, that's it. If we uh, run that number at 8%, they end up with about $640,000. Now, they will have only put in a grand total of 96000 and they will have 640000 So 100000 quadrupled. Quadrupled. Now, what if they really, really dug deep and they were able to come up with $400 a month, again, increasing that by 3% a year, and again, at 8%, just at a lousy 8%, well, not a lousy 8%, at age 70, that 30-year-old would have $2.1 million after only contributing $367,000, That's the power of upping the amount you put in early, discipline along the way, and compound interest. And uh, that is a very doable, that's a very doable number. You know, if they get all the way up to doing the 6000 a year and then adjust that by inflation, then it just gets even better. It gets even better. Well, in fact, let's do it. Let's do it at 6000 a year, shall we? Increasing 3% a year, assuming they'll increase the deduction or the uh, contribution limit. Let's run that number. Okay, by age 70, that 30-year-old would have $2.6 million. Just an extra $100 a month kicks their retirement total up a half a million bucks. So is this worth doing? Yeah, it's worth doing. If you do it early, you take the pressure off yourself down the road, too. That's really important. Thanks for your call, and thanks for the great question. Send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Either type them or speak them, which is even better, like this. I have a question about actually spending money. Assuming that as a family we are already putting away in 401ks, Roths, uh, all their amount of savings that are necessary, keeping a normal budget, et cetera, et cetera. When it comes to actually spending money, if you want to do a larger ticket item for fun, say a boat, <clears throat> because that's the lifestyle that uh, you can afford to live and want to live, would you recommend someone paying full cash for that, say out of a brokerage account, or would you recommend someone taking out a loan and putting the cash value into a fixed income asset like a CD or BND. That way you're only losing the difference between the interest on the bond account and the interest rate of the loan. However, you still have access to the cash should you need it. Um, I know a lot of the show talks about saving money and things to do with that, but I'd actually be curious on what some of the strategies are as far as spending money. I do know that all of this depends on personal situations, so the answer is probably it depends, and I would imagine that this is a lot what a fiduciary helps you do, but the money in a brokerage account, cash, etc., 
typically I like to keep available in case some kind of new business venture endeavor pops up or ability for alternative investments as well. So love the show. Thanks for all you do. Hmm. Well, the answer is it depends. <laughs> Just had to say that. It does depend a little bit. It depends on the interest rate, one. Um, and uh, boat loans tend to be on the higher side than we're comfortable with. We draw sort of an arbitrary line because we believe this line makes sense historically or has made sense historically. A reasonably well-balanced portfolio has historically managed to beat a 5% annual return, even in the more conservative cases where you have very little inequity. So we draw the line at about 5%. So if you can get a boat loan that's under 5 which I don't think you can do, then uh, keep, your, keep your powder dry. Otherwise, I'd buy the boat. I'd buy the boat with cash because your reason for not doing it is not a good one that some business opportunity will come along or uh, alternative investment. You see, that's saying your portfolio isn't your portfolio. Your portfolio should be your portfolio. And if it's money that's for business, that should be business money, not personal money, not retirement money, not lifestyle money. We're big fans of spending money. That's why you make it. Spend the darn stuff. And you didn't say whether you're talking about now or in retirement. And, and I guess that does make a bit of a difference. But uh, if you're going to enjoy your life now and you've got the money, I would spend the money if your interest rate is over 5 or 6%. If it's under that, then keep investing. But it depends <laughs> on you. Uh, it really does. But I don't think that the keeping the powder dry for an alternative investment is a good idea because that sounds like you're kind of gambling, which we're not fans of doing. So, yeah, spend, spend, enjoy, live. That's what money's for. I mean, you know, I, I'm nearing retirement. I am going to, for the first time in my life, hurts a little bit. I'm going to spend money on a relatively expensive vacation for some people it's not expensive at all because i got all kinds of deals but for me who you know driving across the country in an rv is a big splurge uh this one is i'm going you know i'm going on a cruise in europe uh well and and iceland and nor norway uh and then back to copenhagen where we'll stay for a week so it's you know it's not cheap but it, it, i have marriott points so I am cheap. I am spending Marriott. All the hotels are on Marriott points. So I guess really it's the airfare that bothers me. And because I hate the back of the bus, I did did pay up for the premium seats. I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not spending eight or nine or ten hours cramped in the back of that bus. Anyway, so yeah, spend it. Enjoy it. Have fun. Let's take one last question. Hi, Don and Tom. I'm a longtime listener to your Saturday show in the Seattle area, and I manage my husband's and my retirement investments, which are all at Vanguard and index funds. As the volunteer treasurer for a local nonprofit organization, I have a question about how to manage an endowment fund, which is invested with a financial management company that I would not have personally chosen. Our friendly local advisor is at that company with the initials EJ. 
He has built relationships with several of our longtime members who have their personal retirement accounts with him, so I don't think a change in the management company is possible right now. The fund has about $250,000 in it, and our organization would like to keep it solvent indefinitely to help us pay for our programs. The portfolio was originally built to generate dividend income, but we would like to move to making percentage withdrawals of 4 to 6% from the fund's principal each year, as you might do for a retirement fund. Currently, our advisor has us in high-cost investments that are not widely diversified. We are in five different American funds and a few individual dividend-paying stocks and corporate bonds, so it's time for a portfolio rebalancing. My question is, since I don't have a choice about where these investments are held, how can I work with the fund manager to reduce our costs and increase diversification? What might happen if I were to ask for our investments to be moved to low-cost index funds or ETFs? How much flexibility does an EJ investment manager really have to fulfill client requests that go against their commission-based compensation model? I still want this investment manager to provide advice and good service to our organization, especially when I eventually leave my position as treasurer and someone else with less investing experience takes my place. Thanks for your advice. Boy, is this a familiar scenario. And I mean personally. I know Tom went through this with a nonprofit board that had a good buddy managing the money. We love him. He's so nice. He's a great guy. You know, he wasn't making good investments, but he's a great guy. Great guy. Great guy. Wasn't wasn't acting as a fiduciary, but he's a great guy. Um, I my wife ran into it with a nonprofit she was with. She finally got him switched completely over to Vanguard, but it was a fight. I was president of an HOA and finally got them out of a brokerage account that, by the way, in 2008, was invested in auction rate notes right before they collapsed. And I got them out before they collapsed. It wasn't omniscience. It was just, these are stupid. Um, And, boy, you don't want this guy to be there for the next person. That is actually, and you should say this in a board meeting. You are all, as board members, for not speaking up and not making a change, you are violating your fiduciary responsibility to the nonprofit because you could and you know it. And it's easy to convince your board. Just show them the numbers. Look at what those American funds cost to get into. 5.75%. Maybe 5% if if you got a break point. What are the annual expenses of those funds? 0.5, 0.6, 0.7, 0.8% per year. How much does an index ETF cost to get into? Pretty much nothing. What do they charge per year? 0.08 or less. So you don't need somebody there to give you advice because there is no need for advice. What you need to do as a board and as a treasurer right now is set your future boards up for success by simplifying their life. Simplifying their life. Build a portfolio using funds at Vanguard. That's probably the easiest way to do it. That is, well, because you're going to be drawing 4 to 6% out per year, you want a portfolio that's going to lean conservative, which means 60, 70% fixed income and the rest in really diversified equities. But you could do that very simply with VT and BND, the two ETFs. I'm confident 
it doesn't hurt to ask, but I'm confident that your advisory guy, your broker, uh, if you said, buy me VT and buy me uh, and, and pay a commission, pay a, a commission. Uh, if you like him, get VT and get BND through him and get rid of everything else. He won't do it. He won't like it. He'll hate it. And then the minute you're gone, he'll get the new treasurer to do something else that generates him a commission. You, you, you have to talk to the board without him around. He shouldn't be anywhere near your meetings anyway. And you need to tell them that this is business. Not only is this business, but this is a responsibility to those future recipients who need your money. You are doing them, not you personally, your board is doing these recipients a disservice by giving too much of the money that could go to other people to this broker, and I bet he lives a very comfy life on your money. I mean, you're not a big charity. So you really can't even afford a little bit of extra fees and expenses. But it's not hard to do it yourself at this point because your portfolio is small enough I, I really think, or go directly to Vanguard and get the Vanguard Total World Stock Index, VTWAX, and then the Total Bond Index. But you could do the ETFs too. And the, the thing is, is that if you get the EJ guy to do them, he doesn't really have an excuse not to because they're traded as stocks. He won't make much money, but they're not traded as stocks. By the way, you can get them from Schwab or Fidelity for free or from Vanguard. Anyway, good luck fighting the good fight. And thank you for the call. And thank you all for call. Not really. Okay, we're going to call them calls. Thank you for the internet call. And thank you all for listening in. And I hope uh, if you're listening on a Friday or, you know, the Friday that I put this thing up, which is the 26th of May, I hope you have a great weekend. I wish you all the very best. And uh, please tell a friend or two or 10 or 1,000. Do you have 1,000? Okay, 100 to uh, tune into the podcast, Talking Real Money. It's here every single day. And by the way, Tom and I will be probably be lonely on uh, Memorial Day Saturday. So if you're listening to this on Friday and you have some questions or you want to follow up on one of the ones we just talked about, call us live on Saturday at 855-935-TALK starting at 3 p.m. Eastern time. We go 3 to 5 Eastern or noon to 2 Pacific. 855-935-TALK. 855-935-8255, because every Saturday we hang out for two hours, spending time with you, talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial product or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?